Guys, it's Friday, February 21st, 2020, and welcome to this week's edition of the Fritzcast. There is no special guest this week. That was last week's episode. And and boy, did you guys reach out after that episode. That was with presidential candidate Adam Kokesh of the Libertarian, seeking the Libertarian nomination and we had a great episode uh, probably a, a 30 minute plus discussion all about his platform what he wants to do how he's going to do it and it, it was quite amazing to to hear a different philosophy that that one that's not highly touted one that's one that you're not going to hear definitely not on the mainstream media not in the discussion of of you know presidential candidates it's a bold, pragmatic plan, and and part of me, you know, part of me feels a little upset at my own mind because I could have thrown out some challenge questions, but I'm new to this interviewing thing. You guys know this if you've been following along. You know that he was the third ever interview on Fritzcast. It started with the, the Libertarian-in-Chief Todd Hagopian, which was a great episode back in December. Then we had Brian Nichols, my good friend of the Brian Nichols Show, that is a hell of a title, man. You know, I mean, it doesn't have the same. It doesn't have the same ring as Fritzcast. It's just Fritzcast, but pretty pretty good show title. But my good friend Brian Nichols, we had a great episode diving into uh, his evolution uh, in starting his own show, uh, being an independent-minded uh, person in this wacky world of politics. Uh, and now Adam Kokesh joins the the the, the fray of guests on Fritzcast. Uh, it's it's amazing. I actually have these printed out. All the artwork that I've done for these special episodes, which that's something that I'm doing more often. I like doing little wacky uh, photoshops for episodes just to spice things up a bit. It's not the same old logo over and over and over again. And if you've been following along since 2016, you know how I feel about logos. I change them all the time. But uh, in the office here, in the Fritzcast studio, uh, I'm starting up a wall of guests, which take those photoshops, because every one of those guests, a picture of themselves is in that photoshop. And I have a wall of guests, and that's what we're going to do. Every time I have a guest, I'm going to print out that uh, that artwork for the podcast episode. It's going to go up on the wall. And uh, you guys actually, it might not just be a talking point pretty soon. I put a poll out on, on Twitter that I kind of polled you guys, asked the audience. It's still open uh, as of right now on my Twitter. It's actually open for another four days. 
and 21 hours to be exact. Uh, but 69%, I'm not making that up, 69% of you answered yes to this. I said, should I start putting the podcast up on YouTube? And there was uh, several options. Yes with audio only. Yes with audio and video. That was the 69% that won. No, 6%. You guys are losers. Screw you. Nobody asked you for your opinion, except for the fact that I asked you for your opinion in this poll. But still, screw you. How dare you speak your mind and all that jazz. And other, which received no votes so far, uh, or zero percent of the vote. Um, that's still open if you want to vote in it. I, I, I implore you, but it, I, I don't understand why you guys would want video of me. I don't know why you'd want to see me st- sitting behind a mic, but it seems to be a thing. Uh, I don't know what it is with uh, us millennials and and even younger. They just they love video of crap. That's why <laughs> that's why everybody has a YouTube channel. Everybody loves this crap. I don't know why. So I'm toying with the idea that Brian Nichols actually uh, submitted to me some software to try out uh, for not only for video but for my phone calls and all that because uh, Skype sucks. I've been using Microsoft Skype for these interviews and I had to create three different accounts because every time I finish up one, the account gets locked out for no reason whatsoever and Microsoft doesn't want to unlock it. So I'm just done. I'm pissed off, and I'm done. I'm not going to deal with that uh, anymore. I'm going to try to find an alternate means, and the better alternate means I find, uh, or, or the, the sooner I find one, the better. Uh, because there are, I can't go into details. Of course, these have to, these things, these things have to be kept under wraps because they're big and they're secrets. But. There is a potential guest lined up for March. I, I can't go too big into it, although I can say he, he's technically a, a presidential candidate under the Libertarian Party. So there is that, folks. There is that that's possibly coming up. Uh, so I'm trying to toy with that, and if I if I feel like I can do video, I, I'll do it. I will put it up. We'll see how people respond to it. It'll go up on YouTube. Uh, I, I was thinking about putting the podcast up on YouTube anyway. It was just going to be with like the the show artwork in the background with some kind of dazzling effect. It was going to you know bull crap. Like it's not anything that you would actually watch. You would just pull it up and play it in the background. But people don't seem to want that. They want to see the. I guess they want to see this beard or whatever. I don't know. But uh, I'll toy with that. I'll plot an episode coming up in the next uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. Just to do it on audio and video, it'll still co- the podcast will still come out on audio for all you nerds that download it onto your phone and listen to it uh, on your car rides and stuff. That's perfectly fine. I will never ditch that. That is that's uh, a nice medium, I think. Anyway, uh, the the biggest things hinging on that is is cleaning up my office and then I'm finding a way it, it, if my computer can be arranged in such a way uh, and a backdrop. I don't have any backdrops. Uh, but I am working on this. I have. Uh, I, I always wanted to do this for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, so don't ask me why. <laughs> but I have two political yard signs on my wall. One of them is Gary Johnson's from 2016. Um, the guy that I proudly, um, shamefully voted for. I, or as I tell people, 
They're like, well, who would you vote for in the 2016 election? Did you vote for Hillary Clinton or did you vote for this orange jackass? And I go, I voted for the pothead. And, you know, some people get it when I say it. And other people are like, huh, what? Uh, I voted for the pothead. Um, and then I have this other sign, Gene Truono, Principles Not Promises for U.S. Senate. He was running for U.S. Senate here in Delaware, um, which the Republicans always is always doomed in Delaware uh, because Newcastle County is completely liberal Democrat and has the highest population of the three counties here and pretty much decides everything. Delaware is always a blue state. Uh, the three electoral votes always go to the Democrat, pretty much. And I can't remember the last time we had a, a Republican governor. Uh, I don't think there's been a Republican governor in my lifetime. If if there has been, it was when I was very, very young. And there was a... Rep- our House of Representatives member was Mike Castle. He was Republican, and he was... Uh, he was in that seat forever until the Tea Party movement came along. He didn't jive well with the Tea Party movement uh, because he's a, more of a moderate. That's how he got elected in this liberal hell of a state. <laughs> That's how he got elected, being a moderate and having that appeal. And who was it? It was Christine uh, O'Donnell. Christine O'Donnell, I want to say. I got it flip-flopped a little bit. Mike Castle was House of Representatives uh, member, and then he ran for vacated uh, the vacated Joe Biden seat in Delaware, I believe it was, in the... Uh, it was a special election. Yes, special election with the 2010 general elections to choose who would fill a Senate seat for the remaining four years of uh, Joe Biden's seat. And Mike Castle put a bid in for that because he had been House of Representatives member forever and a day. And Christine O'Donnell, a crazy witch lady that was backed by the Tea Party, she uh, she legit, she was crazy in Delaware. Um, but she had the money and the Tea Party backing. She beat castle in the uh, primary elections he quietly bowed out she went on to get creamed by the democrat uh too bad so sad the witchcraft thing by the way came from uh, bill meyer um because he dug up a, a clip of o'donnell uh from 1999 uh in which o'donnell said quote i dabbled into witchcraft i never joined the coven i hung around people who were doing these things we went to a movie and then had a little midnight picnic on a satanic altar, and I didn't know it, quote-unquote. She was she was mocked for being a pretty dumb, bimbo-y type of person, uh, as it were. Um, and she had no impact. <laughs> no impact whatsoever. But the drive-home point, Republicans don't do well in Delaware. That was the crazy tirade we just went on. I apologize. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. It all plays into to what I'm about to talk about, though. Uh, because I voted for Gary Johnson. I, I Right around 
2008, I started this kind of walking towards libertarianism thing. Uh, 2012, I still wasn't fully immersed in it yet. I, I was still foolish enough to vote for somebody like Mitt Romney. Uh, but that was like my awakening because I voted for Mitt Romney and I said, wow, I voted for a guy that I didn't even believe in. And that was bullcrap. <laughs> and uh, wasted time. But I collected these yard signs. Um, it's like I have a roll of, of Bush Cheney stickers from 04 back when I was a really, really dumb young high school kid and was at a liberal arts school where the whole fun thing was just to tear George W. Bush down. And uh, for whatever reason, I felt like, you know, I had to stand up and semi-defend him. I don't know. Uh, but I have I have goofy little trinkets and stuff like that. So my idea was to get a bunch of political signs, whether they were people I supported or not, and have them clash on my wall. And uh, I just so happened to have printed out a stack of uh, 20, 20 candidates and their political signs. And uh, if I decide to do this video, if I decide to do video as part of the podcast, I think a great backdrop would be that, just all the different political signs mashed up on the wall. Uh, kind of like contesting against each other. I think that would be a good background. So we'll see what happens with that. Keep your eyes peeled. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna <clears throat> drag you guys on and make you think something's gonna happen when it's not gonna happen. Uh, I, I'm working on it though. I'm working on it. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But speaking of. Uh, printing out all these uh, campaign signs left and right. Uh, it's hard to think. The The Nevada caucuses take place uh, take place tonight, I think. No, negative. Scratch that. The, the Nevada caucuses take place tomorrow on Saturday. On a Saturday. A Saturday. Who's going to go to a big, giant convention center in Nevada on a Saturday to vote for the candidate that they want to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. Who's going to do that? I'll dive more into Nevada in a minute because we're going to we're going to time travel. We're going to hop into the DeLorean and go back to 2016 uh shortly. But there was a Democratic debate. Uh, th th these things always pop up. There's a big Democratic debate before a big vote. Um not even a vote. It's a caucus. It's not a. F it's not a vote. It's not a vote. I really do not like the caucus system. Uh, for for everything like you know, it, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were going over the huge Iowa debacle. And while you're not gonna, I don't think you're gonna have an Iowa level debacle with this. Man, wait till I dive into the 2016 bit before we even focus on what's happening tomorrow. Uh, but there's a debate that pops up in these, and, and the Democratic debates this year have been just so chaotic. Um, it started with 20 candidates, which is ridiculous. 20 candidates and two nights. I know I'm saying that's ridiculous, but I'm one of those people that says more voices is a good thing. And, and, and it is. More voices is a good thing. More choice, more debate, more discussion, more thinking about this, and, and really putting deep thought into who you would want to select as as a presidential candidate. I think that's fine. I, I really do, but 
the fact that the Democrats started with 20, stayed with 20 for about another debate or two, and these were split into two nights each with 10, with 10 candidates each, then the following one, it, it dipped. It went down to like 10 candidates. But then the one after that jumped up to 12 candidates. Then it dropped down to just like five candidates or six candidates in the one that happened before just a few nights ago. And the one a few nights ago had plus one, finally, the big bad billionaire Michael Bloomberg on a debate stage in the Democratic Party. Not just on your phone or on your computer uh, interrupting ads on social media and, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Um, finally there on a debate stage. Finally there directly for the candidates to call out and pick on and all that stuff. And they wasted no time. Right at the start, the shots started flying uh, towards Michael Bloomberg's way. And the, and the thing is that Michael Bloomberg is um, just, he's boring. He's a boring guy. He's got almost no charisma, uh, no passion. He's just a dude up there. He's a dude with a lot of money. Um, And that's evident from all the viral ads that you're seeing that undoubtedly you have been flooded with because Michael Bloomberg has pissed away money in ads online in trying to become a viral sensation of sorts. He, He does up... Tons of videos that are uh, done in a mocking, you know, style uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, on YouTube. It's just his regular ads, um, but but Twitter especially satirical content out the wazoo, memes out the wazoo, uh, tweets that he's trying to make go viral out of the wazoo. All of it. But now the Democrats were finally able to tackle him, uh, mano e mano, or if you're Klobuchar, Klobacher, and uh, Warren could be mano e mano. Is it cool that I'm doing that as the sheriff of Rottingham? I, I know a bunch of people listening just went down. That's who he was doing. I knew I recognized it. But finally, in a Democratic debate, uh, the gloves really started did really started to come off uh, because they've been wading through these things, kind of like walking on eggshells almost. Because everything is so tight packed right now, like everything is 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 neck and neck. All right, I want you to think about Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders. Do you know the delegate difference? Between Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders. Pete has 22. Bernie has 21. Warren has 8. Klobuchar has 7. Biden has 6. Oh yeah, that's right. Everybody thinks that it's just the majority, that who has the most votes wins the Democratic nomination. Not so. People, it's pledged delegates. And candidates need 1,991 delegates to secure the nomination on the first ballot at the Democratic National Convention. 
So the candidate or the delegate breaks the delegates break down as it were. Uh, in Iowa, Buttigieg got 13, Sanders got 12, Warren got 8, Biden got 6, and Klobuchar got 1. Then in New Hampshire, Buttigieg got 9, Sanders got 9, Klobuchar got 6, and none, no, no other ones were awarded. Uh, coming up in Nevada tomorrow, there's 36 up for grabs. South Carolina on the 29th, 54 up for grabs. And then Super Tuesday, March 3rd, is the biggest uh, chunk of delegates available as Alabama, American Samoa, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, and Democrats abroad? I guess. I don't know. That's 13, though. That's that's available. Uh, it's this delegate system. That determines these things, not uh, not not the popular vote, uh, not a ranked choice voting system, which would make way more much sense. But uh, the Democratic delegate system, which right now the big conspiracy story going on is that Bloomberg is trying to spend his dollar dollar bills to get them to flip a contested convention and quote-unquote steal the nomination from Bernie Sanders. Now, I uh, I don't put a lot into this thinking of um, stealing the nomination from Bernie Sanders. One of the things that I always say about this whole thing is that Bernie Sanders at the end of the day is not an actual Democrat. He wasn't an actual Democrat, so... Um, he, you know, he, he wasn't an actual Democrat. He, he's an independent all the way up until the election seasons. 2016 jumps on the Democrat bandwagon, immediately, uh, retracts the Democratic, you know, ideal, uh, having a D behind his name, uh, days after Hillary Clinton loses, Right. Then he's an independent, 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 and now he's on the stage, and they still have him marked as an independent, even though he's running for the Democratic nomination. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's rather dumb to me. And I've always said uh, it's a mark against Bernie because, you know, if if he's really if he's got this momentum in a, in a big political revolution, and he's breaking uh, he's breaking records in fundraising from people that America has never seen before. Why is it so incredibly underwhelming? He is a delegate behind Pete or a delegate above Pete, whatever I said it was. And uh, just looking at the New Hampshire primary, you had like, it was 25 point whatever percent to 25 point whatever percent. And some people are trying to argue with me on on Twitter uh, and Facebook online. They're... they're, um, People are trying to argue with me that uh, he still is the clear front runner, and he has all this momentum, and yada yada yada. And I'm like, I just don't see it. And they're like, Well, it's because it's a crowded uh, field. That's why 25% significant. It's not when the number two guy is also getting 25%. That's that's all I'm saying. Because you don't know where Warren's people are going to go. You don't know where uh, Klobuchar's people are going to go, and you don't know where Biden's people are going to go. 
You really don't. And then there's just the fact that what's coming up, the there's a there's a caucus this Sunday or Saturday, which is criticized as one of the most disorganized and confusing caucuses that there is. That's why we're going to jump back to 2016 in a couple minutes. And then you have the Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday will really be the telling one with all those states putting casting in the votes. Um, you know, if Bernie doesn't really hit the ground and run away with it, then then people are going to have to start realizing that uh, they <laughs> that you're sitting in very uh, reinforced echo chambers, and you're unwilling to concede the fact that your guy has this manufactured popularity amongst yourselves. You're a very loud group of people, but you're not necessarily the majority of the people. And that's why in this debate, the gloves kind of came off. Um, You know, they wanted to go off on Bloomberg. They didn't really want him on that stage. They wanted to tear down the big, bad billionaire people, man. Like the, the, the terrible, horrible billionaires in this world... We have the best known socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What I miss here? Well, you'll miss that I work in Washington, house one. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, house two. That's good. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. Where is your home? Which tax? Which tax haven? New York. Your home? New York City. Thank you very much, well, and I pay all my home. taxes. Or even critical of Mayor Bloomberg on this issue. Yes, I have. And I hope you heard what his defense was. I've been nice to some women. <laughs> that just doesn't cut it. The mayor has to stand on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. This is not just a question of the mayor's character. This is also a question about electability. We are not going to beat Donald Trump with a man who has who knows how many non-disclosure agreements and the drip, drip, drip of stories of women saying they have been harassed and discriminated against. That's not what we do as Democrats. Well, they can have some say over what happens to their lives. Mayor Bloomberg, you own a large company. Would you support what Senator Sanders is proposing? Absolutely not. I can't think of a ways that would make it easier for Donald Trump to get reelected than listening to this conversation. It's ridiculous. We're not going to throw out capitalism. We tried that. Other countries tried that. It was called communism, and it just didn't work. That's just uh, amongst some of the things that went back and forth uh, towards Bloomberg. He did get some hits in. He did rile up Bernie Sanders at one point, uh, calling about about how he's a millionaire. He has three homes, and, and Bernie Sanders doesn't keep his cool. He lashes out. He starts yelling, and people are actually... It's funny, his base sees it and they go, yeah, Bernie, like, leveled him. And a lot of other people look at it and think, there's a guy that's unstable and can't handle pressure. Just saying it. I'm just saying it. So it was an interesting debate because Bloomberg was finally in the mix. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to benefit from it. He's not going to poll better. But since that debate, um, he has gotten three endorsements 
uh, from members of Congress. He has a, a wide plethora of celebrity endorsements, including John Cougar, Mellencamp, Sam Donaldson, and a host of others are coming out and, and giving him an endorsement. Uh, three members of Congress endorsed Bloomberg after the bait. It was Representatives Josh Gottheimer from New Jersey, Nita Lowry from New York, and Peter Aguilar, Aguilar of uh, California. That goes back to the talk about how Bloomberg might be trying to string something up with the delegates because I thought superdelegates were dead and gone, but apparently there's still some 500 superdelegates in the Democratic system, even though uh, even though I said a couple of weeks ago that uh, we, did, we did away with them. We did away with superdelegates. They're there. Mike Bloomberg is trying to get those delegates. Thank you, Bernie. Thanks for coming in. The debate was heated. He tried to call me a communist. I didn't take. I, I, I burned him to the ground. Again, Bernie, I'm not so sure that you handled your, your cool with that. I, I'm, I just, you know, I, I'm, I was impressed with how well I did and how terrible billionaire Mike Bloomberg did. Thanks. I gotta go. Thank, thank you, Bernie. Thank you very much. You know, Bernie needs to come on for an extended period of time sometime soon. I wish he, I wish he would stay because I'm about to talk about the Nevada caucus because here's the Nevada caucus and everybody's talking like there's Bernie people excited about how he's going to perform in the Nevada caucus. You know, in 2016, Bernie didn't perform well in the Nevada caucus. It was him and Hillary Clinton... Hillary Clinton got 20 delegates and 52.64% of the vote. Bernie only snagged 47.29% of the vote in the Nevada caucuses with one uh, with one county tying that they didn't award to anybody. <laughs> All other candidates had dropped out at this point last year. There was only Sanders and Hillary Clinton. At the Nevada caucus. Now we're going to the Nevada caucus with like six, seven, eight candidates. Now, the real deal is that there was uh, big stories in 2016 after the Nevada caucus. Uh, I'm going to split this up into two reports. One is a May 15th report from the Washington Post. And then I'm going to read from a May 18th, 2016 PolitiFact follow-up on it. But this Washington Post article, it was written by Philip Bump Bump on May 15th, uh, states, quote, Saturday's Russia State Democratic Convention in Nevada encapsulated a lot of the themes of the party's 2016 election in a relatively short period. Complex delegate math, inscrutable processes, allegations of deceit, fury, and a result that doesn't do much of anything to shift the race's eventual outcome. Nevada's process for sending delegates to the National Convention in Philadelphia is among the most complex when the state caucused in late February, the fourth state on the calendar for the Democratic Party, the best or the results of that process favored Hillary Clinton. 23 of the 35 total bound delegates were given out proportionally in the state's four congressional districts, giving Clinton a delegate lead of 13 to 10. The results of the caucus suggested that after the state convention, which bound the state's seven at-large delegates and five delegates who are elected officials or party leaders, 
Clinton would end up with a 20-15 to 15 lead over Sanders. With Clinton winning one more delegate from the at-large pool, 4-3, to three, and one more from the party leader pool, 3-2, to two, than Sanders. The people who attended the Democratic convention this weekend were chosen during voting in early April. At that point, Sanders out-organized Clinton, getting 2,124 people elected to the state convention. That was according to tabulation at the always essential delegate tracking site the Green Papers, to Hillary Clinton's 1722. That suggested that voting at the state convention would flip. Sanders would win those 4-3 to three and 3-2 three to two contests, giving him a 7-5 to five victory at the convention and making the state total 18-17 to 17 for Clinton instead of 20-15. to 15. But that's not what happened as best as we can piece together. On Friday, Sanders' campaign released a statement, apparently after a conversation with Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid, thanking his supporters in the state and saying that working together, quote, respectfully and constructively on Saturday at the Nevada Democratic Convention, end quote, would help the party beat Donald Trump in November. On Saturday morning, though, there was tumult. Prior to the state convention, some Sanders supporters began an effort to shift the convention rules in a way that they viewed as more favorable to their candidate. One of those changes, the Las Vegas Sun reported, was a process for verifying voice votes. Another took issue with the state party chairwoman, Roberta Lange, heading up the convention. Supporters at the event circulated petitions to the same end. The report from... from the Credentials Committee on Saturday morning indicated that Clinton had a slight edge in delegates. Sanders fans voted against that report per John Ralston and then demanded a recount. But this was simply a preliminary figure. As in the Iowa caucuses on February 1st, the final total delegates went through a process of realignment as the day progressed. That was when the vote to approve the rules as written, Roberta's rules versus Robert's rules, as some Sanders backers dubbed them, was conducted by a voice vote. The motion, seconded by a Sanders supporter, passed, which is when the room, in Ralston's phrasing, erupts. Ensuing speakers, including Senator Barbara Boxer, a Clinton supporter, were interrupted by a vocal group of Sanders supporters at the front of the room. All of that tension set stage for the final votes. The ultimate total reported by Colo TV was 1695 Clinton delegates to 1662 for Sanders, giving Clinton that one delegate total in the at-large and party leader pools. But the drama was far from over. 56 Sanders delegates, enough to swing the majority, were denied delegate status, mostly because they weren't registered as Democrats by the May 1st deadline, according to the state party. Convention leaders declined to reconsider those 56 delegates and spurred by the casino because the event was already well past the schedule ending time, adjourned for the day. Sanders supporters refused to concede, remaining in the casino's ballroom after the event had ended. Eventually, casino security and law enforcement officials entered to force the Democrats out of the space, even turning off the lights to get them to depart. That was... A hell of a debacle in 2016 that people probably don't even remember now because it's 2020, and that was 2016, and Hillary Clinton had won, and Bernie Sanders had lost, 
and that was that. But people were kind of skeptical of the Democratic Party then. Some of those allegations of misconducts PolitiFact found were unfounded. Um, in this article, written by Riley Snyder on May 18th, quote, supporters of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders are furious over the results of Nevada's state Democratic Party convention in Las Vegas. Sanders supporters loudly protested both during and after the convention, which saw Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton officially claim 20 pledged delegates to Sanders 15. Only 23 of the state's 43 delegates officially looked or are officially locked in as a result of the February caucus. Clinton won 13 of that pool while Sanders won 10. Another group of eight are so-called superdelegates who aren't bound to any candidate and independently decide who they support. Five currently support Clinton at that time and one backed Sanders. This was the big thing. It was a controversial thing. Sanders' delegates were trying to flip the rules of the Nevada caucuses weeks beforehand. Quote, Tensions were already mounting in the weeks before the convention with a small group of Sanders supporters filing a lawsuit against the state party, which was dismissed by a Las Vegas judge, and creating a petition demanding the convention rules be changed. The fight over the rules had begun had been going on since April, according to an email chain posted by the Nevada political journalist John Ralston. Between Sanders superdelegate Aaron Bilbray and party chairwoman Roberta Lange. Supporters of Sanders believe that the convention rules, which had been largely the same since 2008, gave an unfair amount of power to Lange, the convention chair. The rules specifically lay out that all convention votes must be done by voice vote, and that only the convention chair can declare the winner or call for a more specific method of voting among the thousands of delegates. The rules, which are provided and could be read, also state that any amendment attempts must be approved by two-thirds of the convention delegates, which would be difficult given nearly the nearly even number of Clinton and Sanders backers that were present. Sanders backers say the continuing nature of the presidential primary necessitated, necessitated more rule changes. Sanders' campaign did not respond to a request for comment. In a previous statement, the campaign detailed several allegations of misconduct from the state party which we considered as part of the fact check. At that convention, the Democratic leadership used its power to prevent a fair and transparent process from taking place, quoted the campaign of Bernie Sanders in a statement. This article goes on to state, though, however, there was no last-minute rule changes sprung on convention goers. The rules had been publicly available weeks in advance, largely unchanged for three presidential cycles, and given to both campaigns. The first major fight happened in the morning when the convention being gaveled in nearly 40 minutes after the scheduled 9 a.m. start time. In a voice vote, Lange approved adoption of a preliminary credentials report showing more Clinton than Sanders delegates. Immediately, howls of protests from the Sanders contingent emerged, many of whom rushed the days and started screaming insults and obscenities directly at Lange. Although several videos from the event appear to have louder nays than yays, both the preliminary and final delegate counts showed Clinton supporters outnumbered Sanders supporters in the room. And trying to determine the outcome of a voice vote from a video of around 3,000 delegates is somewhat arbitrary to begin with. 
The only person with authority to call it in a different voting mechanism is the convention chair, Lange. Finally, to Politico's end, their ruling on this, quote, Sanders campaign manager Jeff Weaver said Nevada Democratic Party leaders, quote, hijacked the process on the floor, end quote, of the state convention, quote, ignoring the regular procedure and ramming through what they want to do, end quote. Caucuses and delegate math can be incredibly confusing, and the arcane party structures don't reflect how most people assume presidential selection works. <laughs> But the howls of unfairness and corruption by the Sanders campaign during Nevada State Convention can't change the simple fact that Clinton's supporters simply turned out in larger numbers and helped her solidify her delegate lead in Nevada. There's clear, there's no clear evidence the state party hijacked the process or ignored regular procedure. We rate this claim false. That's what happened because people don't understand the processes that are at play. It's one thing to be against the processes that are at play and how the rules work. Because, believe me, doing a voice vote in, in the 2000s, in the 1990s, in the 1980s is pretty dumb when the technology is here to actually account for all the votes. So voice vote's dumb. I don't even know if Nevada still does that. Uh, they might have had to change a lot since then. I have the rules and guidelines and frequently asked questions, but it's just gonna be it's gonna be telling to see what happens tomorrow at the Nevada caucus, which has, as I stated and as I read, has been criticized in the past as being chaotic and disorganized. And that, my friends, is why this democratic this Democratic figuring out who the nominee is going to be, trying to predict it, is is kind of out the window uh, because everything is practically stagnant. The only big takeaway things is that Amy Klobuchar came in third in the New Hampshire primary, unsuspectingly uh, trouncing Warren out for that spot, and that Joe Biden has performed very underwhelmingly. Those are the two takeaways right now. So it will it will be interesting to see what happens because this thing is still up in the air. There's no clear front runner in my book. I don't give a damn about any of the polls because the polls were wrong in 2016. They were kind of wrong in 2018 too for that blue wave that did not really happen. And that's where we stand with it. Guys, that's going to do it for me. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the FritzCast. I love you all, man. If you didn't catch Adam Kokesh's episode, if you're brand new here, go back and listen to the episode with Adam Kokesh. Also, go back and check out our interviews with uh, Brian Nichols and Todd Hagopian as well. Uh, if you like this, guys, if you like this episode, please like, share, comment, do your thing on social media, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. Spread the word, spread the fire of the FritzCast. It's awesome. Uh, we're a big, happy, crazy family here. Uh, we don't always agree with each other, but we don't shut each other out and block each other on Twitter like little bitches. We don't do that. Have yourselves a good week. I think next week we might toy with this uh, video idea. We'll, we'll, we'll go off of, we won't plan it just yet. And then also keep in mind and keep your eyes peeled, I will be... Uh, I'm I'm set to do an interview with the We Are Libertarians Network, We Are Libertarians podcast with Chris Spangle, 
uh, on my journey into libertarianism and the liberty movement, which will be uh, it will be great for me to not have to come up with questions and just come up with the answers, you know, for once. That'll be that'll be awesome. Uh, so, guys, thank you again. Love you a million times, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>